everyone, and welcome to episode 413 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday, August the 20th, and I'm joined, as I usually am, by Scott Coleman. Scott, things went pretty well this week for the Atlanta Braves, and just think, a week ago, the sky was falling. That's right. A good week, indeed. Uh, thankfully, it looks like, despite what social media might tell you, uh, the Braves are just fine. Another really strong week. Uh, a lot of fun, entertaining games, too, and a lot to dig into. And Brad, this was kind of blowing my mind a little earlier. There is only 39 regular season games left this season, which is wild. I don't know about you. It just feels like this season is flying by and having the best record in, in the league certainly helps. But yeah, 39 regular season games to go until playoff time. Yeah, we are now beyond the quarter pole of the season. Um, people always mistake what the quarter pole is. That's one of those uh, euphemism things that no one understands. But the quarter pole is actually the three-quarter mark, and that's where we are. The Braves have played more than 75, 75% of their schedule at this point in time. So uh, less than 40 to go. And uh, yeah, it's kind of weird, but that's what happens when you get to start getting to late August. Things are getting interesting. Uh, rosters expand in you know, 10 days from now, 11 days from now. And uh, it was a good week, as we'll talk about in a second. The Braves go 5-1. They're now eight and two in the last 10. Their division lead is rather large. Uh, the Phillies play tonight as we're recording this. So it's gonna be either going to be 13 games or 14 games. And uh, the vibes are pretty good. There were some injuries, uh, not a ton of news. In fact, we'll just touch, touch on this now. Ozzy Albies, um, we kind of, I had someone accuse me, Scott, as I'm sure you probably even saw, of, uh, of jinxing, uh, jinxing Ozzy last week because we talked about um, what, what would happen if he were to go on the IL. Uh, and he went on the IL <laughs> the next day. So uh, my apologies to Ozzy, but he seems to be okay at this point yeah. in time. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're probably okay there. Uh, you know, knock on wood, obviously. Um, but he's been out for a week. It was the Nicky Lopez show, which wasn't a huge surprise, but you know, Nicky Lopez was the guy they went to. And that was one of the things we talked about last week on the show, like what would happen. And uh, we guessed it would probably be Lopez, but uh, Von Grissom was an option. They called him up and then didn't really play him much. Um, and then the other thing that ha- happened was today, Michael Harris missed today's game um, after he fell put, pitch off his foot last night on Saturday, but he seems to be good to go. In fact, he told Mark Bowman, I believe, um, that, he, that he's hoping to play on Monday. It wouldn't shock me. I don't know about you, Scott. I feel like we've seen this before where like, a guy will say, I'm ready to go, and then they'll give him an extra day. So that, that wouldn't shock me if he, didn't, if he didn't play till Tuesday, but I think I think he's fine. That is straight from the Bobby Cox book of managing. Right. I, I think Bobby was famous for, you feel good? Well, we're going to give you today and – you know what? Maybe we were going to give you tomorrow too, just to be safe. And uh, you know, it seems like my my kind of read on the Aussie injury situation, really the the entire week, is that this was pretty minor. But when you do have a thirteen game lead in the division, you can afford to be smart and extra cautious. We know how much Aussie means to this team at the top of the lineup, so you just want to be smart. You know, you don't have to push him out there. I almost got the vibe that if it was a playoff game, he probably could have gutted through it and played. And then with Michael Harris, he was in the original lineup on Sunday. I'm guessing he probably said something to the medical staff. And sure, maybe he misses a game or two this week, or or maybe he's back on Monday. But regardless, uh, it was it was good to see the x-rays were negative because if there are players on this roster that the Braves really cannot afford to lose, it Michael Harris would be if not at the top right next to it. Uh, so good news all the way around. Never never great to see Ozzy hit the IL for 10 days, but it seems like he will be back in time for the road trip next weekend. 
That is interesting because I almost put that on there. Like we could do if we wanted to waste some time or have some uh, theoretical conversations this on this Sunday evening, Scott, um, talk about how valuable Harris is because it, you're right. It, we, could, we could avoid the whole topic necessarily, but um, just because of the position that he plays and the lack of depth behind him, they, I guess they could play Ronnie there if they had to, but he doesn't want to play there and they don't want to play him there. So it's like, yeah, I think that Harris would be extremely big to lose. Hopefully that's not going to happen you know, defensively. I mean, we know at the bat, too, he's been good with the bat for you know months and months now after a slow start, but his glove is so valuable and all that stuff. So uh, hopefully they, they dodge that bullet. And it does seem like the vibes on Ozzy are pretty good. Everyone's saying the right things. He'll be back, I think, sooner rather than later. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it's going to be an absolute minimum IL stint, but it'll be close, it, it seems like, if you read the tea leaves. Yeah, and this was a fun week to see Nicky Lopez in action. And, <laughs> yes, you know, I, I think this was to a T the role we envisioned him in whenever the Braves acquired him. And as we as we know, when everyone is healthy, he really is not going to play very much. But if you get an injury, whether it's this season or, you know, next year down the road, he's under control for a couple of years. He is a very, very good defensive infielder. I mean, I, I have been really impressed um, he filled in at shortstop last week. He played second base every game this week. Really smooth, has a great arm too, which is, I think Ozzy has an okay arm. Takes a little while to get rid of the ball sometimes. Lopez has a cannon. That's really impressive to see. He, he did a nice job. He continued to hit a little bit. He had a big game on Monday night as well. Um, and as we've kind of outlined, he is going to be batting at the bottom of the order whenever he's out there. No one is expecting him to be Babe Ruth, but if he makes all the defensive plays and gets on base a couple of times, that's a really strong backup utility infielder to have. Yeah, speaking of Lopez, well, we can sort of dive into the Yankee series because he was the star of his first two games. Uh, you know, I can't remember who had this stat, but he, he became the first player with at least seven hits and at least eight RBI in his first two starts with, with a team since 1920 that's 100 plus years so that's a pretty wild one of course he pitched at the end of last week which was hilarious um but yeah he was kind of the, the star on monday night in what became a very lopsided win 11-3 over the yankees free it looked good um they scored eight runs in the first three innings they were just kind of all over all over them uh, after that we'll talk about the pitching on tuesday wednesday and thursday because it back actually grabbed like across the uh, major leagues kind of headlined with, with the three straight shutouts. But Monday was more of an offensive barrage, uh, I guess, I guess again, headlined by Lopez, but you had Riley Homer and Rosario Homer. That was just a kind of a, a break things open and cruise to victory kind of night. Yeah, it was a fun game and good atmosphere all three nights at Truist. And you mentioned Austin Riley Homer. We, we talked last weekend about how he is almost flying under the radar with how good Acuna and Olsen and others have been. And then little did we know, Monday evening was going to be the start of an all-time heater for Eddie Rosario. Uh, I'm not sure there are many players in the league who have hotter hot streaks than Eddie does. Had the home run on Monday night. We know, of course, what he did over the weekend as well. Yeah, just a really fun win. Uh, you know, Freed was fine. Uh, only had two strikeouts, but does what Max Freed does. Kept the ball on the ground. Didn't give up any hard contact. And to win a game 11 to three, that was basically no drama was, was really nice, especially after you know, they didn't have an off day after the weekend. So yeah. they had that lengthy road trip and then they came back and, and played not even 24 hours later and took care of business, which was good to see. Yeah. We flagged that last week on the show. Like that was a really tough spot situationally. And 
you don't often consider that stuff in baseball too much. The schedule is what the schedule is and you're playing every day. It's more of a football, even most, especially basketball thing where it's like, look at the schedule and you'll see which, which team's going to win that night kind of thing. But uh, yeah, they were impressive to bounce back from that, you know, from the travel and the rigorous schedule to win comfortably on Monday. Um, I guess we'll group these three together on some level, but the first two uh, of the three straight shutouts happen against the Yankees. Uh, and I think appropriately after the complete and utter freak out the last couple of weeks, it was Bryce Elder on Tuesday and Charlie Morton on Wednesday uh, headlining what became shutout wins. Uh, we'll talk about them, I guess, in in, uh, in succession here. But Br- Bryce Elder was was good on Tuesday, like capital G good. That was great to see from him. He had been struggling pretty badly, and uh, he was basically slammed the door on Tuesday. Well, and I, my takeaway from Elder's start was the command was there. I think he's gotten into some trouble over these last handful of starts where you know he's leaving balls in the middle of the plate. And when you don't have prime stuff, that's going to be a problem. So for Elder to go out there, seven innings, only gave up one hit, no runs, three walks, three strikeouts. It was it was kind of what I'm going to call peak Bryce Elder, where sure, it's not flashy, but there was little hard contact. There was a ton of stuff on the ground. And man, for a guy who had been struggling, you know, he really needed that. And the Braves needed it too. Uh, to save this bullpen a little bit, which has been really taxed. So let's hope that that was the start of a turnaround from Bryce. He was so good and effective early in the year. And if he can get even close to being that guy again over these final six weeks and perhaps into October, I I don't have to tell you, it's it's a huge boost for this team and for the rotation. Yeah, and look, he, he kind of has to be in good command position. Like he he can't he can't miss in a way that other guys can. And that was evidence. I'm glad you brought that up just because like he only struck out three in the game. He wasn't like utterly dominant in the way that some guys can be, but when he's hitting his spots, he can obviously be quite good. He's got some plus, he's got some plus offerings and it works out very well. It's funny. Tuesday was a game. Um, a lot of our blogging friends were at the game on Tuesday. I was actually invited to come and I couldn't make it um, for my Valley sports Southeast on Tuesday. So it was kind of a weird one in that there weren't a lot of fireworks. There were two home runs. Marcel hit one in the, in the first inning. And then Ronald hit one in the fifth inning, and that was the entirety of the scoring of the nine-inning game. It was 5 nothing on two swings, and then it was Elder Minter Yates just slamming the door. So it was a kind of a weird win because they were up the entire way because they scored three in the first inning. But it was not not a boring game. I appreciated it. But it was not one that had a ton of like spread-out fireworks, if you know what I mean. Well, and we're, we're going to talk about what happened on two, on uh, Wednesday here in a moment. But Yeah, we are, Scott. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, the, the Brad Roland victory lap. I'm kidding. Is coming. Um, man, I, I've watched a lot of baseball. I'm sure all of our listeners have too. I don't know the last time, if ever, that I can recall a Yankees team that was as down bad oh. as this one was. I mean, it was, it was truly lifeless. Uh, just to give uh, a quick summary of the three games, the Yankees scored a run in the first and second innings of Monday night's game, and they pre- <laughs> they only scored one more run the rest of the way. The at-bats were horrible. I mean, look, man, I don't want to take anything away from Elder and, and from Charlie Morton, but, I mean, those are two guys who have been struggling. Like, yes. like full stop struggling lately. And they were they were lifeless in the batter's box. Charlie had 10 strikeouts. He had guys swinging at balls that were landing in the opposite batter's box. <laughs> I mean, it was just it was wild to see a Yankees team be this bad. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever really seen it. I mean, I, I guess my 
remembering of watching baseball dates back to, I'd say the late nineties was when I was old enough to really appreciate things. And I mean, they, that is just a, a bad baseball team to be blunt. Yeah. And this is my Yankees podcast, but I'm going to back you up here. Uh, they have now lost eight straight. They got swept this weekend too, by the way, at home by the Red Sox. Yeah. So they've, yeah. they've lost eight games in a row. And uh, I'm glad you said we have not talked about this. Um, this is their first eight game losing streaks since before that time that you just referenced. 1995 was their last eight game losing streak as a Yankees yeah. franchise. So they yeah. are down bad for sure. And I honestly, as a, as a, as a person that is my age, I have a uh, kind of a unique hatred for the Yankees because I, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but they were they were the American League nemesis, obviously. For you know, clearly, oh, yeah. clear, not 96 is my all time bad beat in terms of baseball, uh, and you know, I hate the Yankees. I always will. So that, it's kind of nice in some respects. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it's not lost on me. I mean, maybe I wasn't uh, you know I wasn't an adult or anything like that for those games, but to stomp the Yankees, especially after they just stomped the Mets too in New York. Um, uh, six and one back-to-back series record against the Mets and then the Yankees and just crushed them. A, your note here is great. A plus <laughs> 45 run differential in seven games against the two New York teams, six and one with a 45 run differential is really damn good. It's uh, unbelievable. So, I mean, you talked about, I'm, you joked about my um, victory lap coming. I, I, it's not even going to be necessary. You know, Morton was good, obviously struck out 10. Uh, I think I'll, even I, as someone who is predisposed to defending Charlie will note, like you did, the Yankees were not uh, the biggest threat to anyone in this series. So we'll see what the next star looks like for Charlie, but it was good to see him. Um, number one, not walking anyone. Only one walk in that game is excellent to see 10 strikeouts look crisp like himself. And hopefully that is the start of uh, more of that because, you know, we, we've got over it numerous times. His season long numbers look just fine, but he'd been pitching pretty poorly the last, you know, previous three, four starts and uh, him pitching well there was a nice thing to see. Okay, Scott, we'll take a little break now after hearing about the Yankees and uh, sort of, you know, I guess delighting in their misery a little bit. We'll talk about the third straight shutout, which happened against the Giants on Friday, the rest of that series, then look ahead to the upcoming week. But first, it were from our sponsors on today's podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Scott, let's dive back into the shutout brigade, which continued on Friday. You pulled this. I believe it was uh, one run allowed in 34 innings. Yes, one run in 34 innings and three straight shutouts. That doesn't happen very often, really anywhere, but especially when you have the offense the Braves do. And again, like we said at the top of the podcast, to come off of a little bit of uh, what we what we did say was an overly uh, negative reaction by the fan base last week. To have all that happen and just a reminder that, hey, these guys can pitch pretty well, too. Uh, they were just uh, pretty incredible over three days in terms of, uh, I guess, three, I guess, four days, three games in four days and just uh, not allowing anything. Yeah, really nice job by Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, Bryce Elder. The bullpen has been really good, too, other than a notable uh, blow up late Sunday afternoon. But you know, besides that, man, it's hard. I don't care who you're playing. Even if the Giants have been struggling a bit lately, even if the Yankees are not your older brothers, New York Yankees, you str- shut out three big league teams in a row. You mentioned the one run in 34 innings. The pitching really stepped up. And you know, even I think Strider even kind of, uh, alluded to it in his post-game comments on Friday night. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we hear about it, right? And these guys, they, they read the headlines, they hear things and um, you know, they, they really stepped it up this week and, and gave the Braves a big time boost. And, you know, the giants are a solid team. They, they look like, I don't know if anyone in the national league actually wants to be in the wild card because there's six or seven teams that just can't seem to consecutively win games right now. But the Giants are pesky. They, you know, they do a lot of things well. They have some solid pitching. The lineup doesn't have a ton of stars in it by any means, but it's not a bad lineup by any means. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really nice, fun win on Friday night. Right. And Strider, you know, we group – We I guess you kind of, kind of group him in with Elder and Morton in terms of, this, of the shutouts. Strider also had the bad start last week that we talked about. It was just kind of a weirdly bad start. I, I was never worried. I don't think you were either about Strider. But he was incredible on Friday, just looked dominant, and that was good to see. Um, Harris was really good. Um, I'll, I'll let you talk about this, too. Um, I think there's been a little bit of maybe people haven't noticed how good Russell Iglesias has been in recent days. You know, we did note how he was a little bit a little bit shaky early in the year after last year when he was just, you know, off the charts, probably best reliever in baseball once he arrived in Atlanta. He had not quite been that early in the year, but you pulled some numbers like he's been uh, kind of outrageous for about the last you know couple of months. Yeah, and you know he had the shoulder injury in the spring, and he was a little slow out of the gate. Had a couple of of pretty ugly appearances, quite honestly, early in the year, giving up home runs. But I pulled some numbers. This dates to late June, so almost two full months at this point. But since then, he has an ERA of zero point nine five. He has a thirty six percent strikeout rate, which is huge for a closer. And he's not walking anyone. It's at 5.6% of a walk rate. That's over 20 games. In his last 20 appearances, he has been scoreless in 19 of the 20. 
The only one that he gave up a run in was that weird afternoon game against the Diamondbacks. <laughs> and the, the Braves yeah. still ended up winning. That was one of those. That was just a bizarre series looking yes. back on it. Um, and, and then, you know, you look at like his baseball savant profile and it is very, very good across the board. So for a guy who was so dang good after the trade last year, yeah, he got off a little slow this season, but over the last couple of months, Rysel Iglesias has been as good as pretty much any reliever in the National League. Yeah, you know, again, his his stuff last year was so preposterous, but uh, even if you include the rough start this year, his season long numbers look really good. You know, FIP in the mid twos, XFIP in the mid twos. Um, ERA below three now, um, almost, you know, five and a half, six strikeout stri- strikeouts per walk. Like he looks, you know, under the hood, really, really strong. And uh, same as last year. And I think you can be pretty confident in him. You know, nobody's like infallible. I don't feel the way that I feel about like, you know, sometimes it's like you have this feeling of warmth when a guy comes in. I feel pretty good about Iglesias. You know what I mean? Like oh, I, you, me too. you're never, you're never perfect. We'll probably talk about Kirby Yates at some point uh, later on in this podcast about today. And I think it's, it's always interesting to me. I don't know about you, especially doing what we do now. And like, I, I, I try to most of the time be level-headed and like, I try to like not just go off of my gut. Sometimes there's just a guy or two that you feel great about or that you don't feel great about um, a sort of independent of the numbers. And at least it's the numbers back it up. It's like, yeah, he, he, you should feel good about him. But ever since he arrived last year, it probably helps that he was awesome to start things. Like I feel pretty darn good. And that hasn't really changed. I think, uh, you know, you pointing all that, all those numbers out just strengthens it even more. Like I, I'm, I'm not worried at all. doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but uh, there's a nice little uh, feeling of security there. Well, and his velocity has actually ticked up a little bit as the season has gone on, which is great. And man, you you talk about his fastball, and then he just dots that change up in the bottom of the zone. He's gross. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible, man. And I would imagine the the plane of the pitch must be virtually identical to the hitters because nobody squares him up. I mean, it's not even like he he has loud contact and they're just finding gloves. You know, he has that changeup working down in the zone and that fastball is humming. I mean, he's just a really, really effective reliever. And I mean, just a great trade. We're, we're more than a year into it. You know, at the time, we liked it. No one was feeling great about the back end of the bullpen last year. He was a godsend during the uh, pennant run last year. And then, as we've outlined, especially lately, he has been nearly perfect in his role. He's expensive, and that's why he was available, but he's worth it. He looks like this, and that's kind of what the Braves were banking on when they acquired him a year ago, like you just mentioned. Um, Saturday, they allowed some runs, unfortunately, but they did win the game, and the biggest reason why was, as you referenced earlier in the podcast, the star turn of one Eddie Rosario who had a heck of a week. Um, the big night, though, was Saturday where, uh, I'm sure you heard this on the broadcast, Scott, he was getting the uh, the full-on Eddie Eddie chance in a way that he had not gotten in a couple of years. That was, that was a lot of fun on Saturday night. And again, in a packed house at, um, you know, Truist. And Eddie Rosario, for a guy who has run so hot and so cold, really throughout his entire Braves tenure, which is coming up on two years now. I, I mean, his heaters are unbelievable. I believe he three home runs and five games to that point. And that home run, at Truist uh, off of, I think it was Taylor Rogers. I mean, that was, I know the media folks who were there said it was as loud as they have heard Truist. I mean, it felt like a playoff atmosphere and he just launched that ball to center field. I mean, that thing was nuked 450 feet almost to dead center with Truist rocking to, to pick up a win there. I mean, going into the start, you had Yanni Chirinos 
against Logan Webb. I mean, that's about as lopsided of a pitching matchup as the Braves are going to see this season. Mm-hmm. And for them to pick up a win was was no small feat. For sure. And like, you know, obviously we don't have to lay it out too much, but ha- having, you know, it's a Saturday night. The game was close. It was back and forth. So nobody's leaving early. Nobody's, you know, it's one of those things where it was, there are sellouts and there are sellouts. And that was a, uh, a jam-packed one. And, uh, you know, one swing wins the game in the eighth inning. He goes four for four and they hadn't led the whole game. That was, there were some ties, but he, they had not led the whole game. That was awesome. Uh, he wasn't alone. It's worth noting, you know, Ronnie hit a home run. Marcelo Zuna, actually, it's kind of funny. I, I counted up the, the hitting streak. Uh, to 16 games yesterday, and then he did not have a, have a hit today. But still, he's been really good in recent days. Had three more hits on Saturday, too. It was the Eddie Rosario game in a lot of ways, but he was not alone. Um, I guess we should talk about the pitching a little bit. Um, the bullpen was awesome. Let's just say that on, a, on the positive side on Saturday. But, uh, you know, while we're here, let's discuss Yanni Chirinos. So a, a week ago, you and I expressed our, let's just say, skepticism about our, our Chirinos. Yeah. yeah. Our Nothing. Uh, we weren't. We weren't letting the podcast world on fire. But it was one of those things where you know, uh, and he did not look very good again on Saturday. Uh, I, I had to laugh. You know, one comment that Snip made that I will allow you to read because you made the note of it um, was more like straight ahead. Uh, but he also said, uh, I think he was joking because I, I, you know, I, I saw the video eventually. He said he uh, he was asked about that fifth starter spot, and he said that he'd rather have Tom Seaver which is like the most Brian Snicker reference of all time. It's like a 40-year-old, 50-year-old reference. Like, Snit, like, yeah. Justin, Justin Toscano does not even know who Tom, I mean, obviously knows who he is. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it was like one of those yeah. funniest things was like, Toscano wasn't even born when uh, Tom Seaver yeah. was pitching. Just very funny. I, I love Snit. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> not a lot of <laughs> modern managers are throwing around Tom Seaver. I'd rather have Tom Seaver. Like, did you see Steve? So, Steven... Uh, deadpan on Twitter, our friend Stephen Tolbert um, of Battery Power fame said uh, he, he he noted that Seaver's probably not going to be too crisp at his age. As one of those things, and people people were like confused that he was kidding. It was it was a it was a whole cycle rusty. over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. little rust. Um, yeah, Trinos. Clearly, the Braves internally feel like there is something still there. They do. I, I think it was Mark Bowman who reported or just tweeted. That you know the Braves feel like there's something still there, and even looking ahead to next season when he's under control, that as he distances himself from Tommy John, they feel like he can get back to the level he was a couple of years ago with the Tampa Bay Rays. When he was, I mean, he was a really solid starter for a couple of years. He had some versatility. Right now, though, I, I just don't know what else we need to see to not have him pitch every fifth day. Uh, He gave up seven hits over four runs. The first pitch of the game was a line drive home run into the chop house. And it's just not very encouraging. And, you know, I think again, in Brian Snitker fashion, when asked if Trinos was going to make another start, he said, quote, we don't have any plans right now. We'll talk about it. It's five days away there will probably be a lot of conversation about everything, everybody, everything. So, uh, end quote. So, you know, clearly <laughs> that is the that is an all-time non-answer from a veteran manager. Um, you know, the way that they're going to set up the rotation this next week with um, Alan Winans is coming back, there's a world where if he pitches well, I, I think Torinos could lose a spot. They also have to make a roster move in order to get Winans up, who's going to pitch on Monday. 
So it's it is without for me, it is clearly a a decision that feels like it's going to be made here sooner rather than later. Right. And we're recording this podcast 730 or so Eastern time on Sunday. So keep that in mind. You may already know the answer by the time you're listening on Monday. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've already announced well, Snick confirmed tonight that it's gonna be Winans tomorrow. Um We'll see what that actually means. They're kind of adding him in there. They're not like, obviously, he's not taking Shirinos' spot tomorrow because Shirinos pitch on Saturday. Um, they're pushing everybody back, which is, you know, could be good. We advocated for that last week. I I do wonder, and I have speculated about this a little bit to someone who, let's just say, is close to the team and, uh, you know, got some mixed reaction. Like, would they be still doing this with Chirinos, uh looking toward the future, which is, I, I think is admirable. I think they obviously see something in him, like you said. And there is a comfort level. Not to say that you sort of rest on your laurels. When you're up 13, 14 games, you can be a little bit more exploratory this time of year. If they were up two, I don't know if Trinos even pitches Saturday. Well, I mean, I don't know. We'll never know. But it's one of those things where they can, they have a little bit more wiggle room here. But yeah, I, we'll see how Winans pitches. Maybe that's going to be what decides. But also, they might have to, you know, I'm not saying you DFA Trinos, but like that's one of the realistic options to create that roster spot that allows you to bring Winans up tomorrow. There isn't a clear thing to do, which is something I know that Steven and Chris have talked about a lot on their show, which is why we haven't done a, a ton on our show, but there, there are not a lot of obvious roster moves to make. It's the same kind of principle as the Dylan Lee, Nick Anderson, Jesse Chavez stuff coming up. Like they don't have these easy roster moves to make. So this is the latest one. They have to do something literally tomorrow to get Winans up. And it could be an IL stint for somebody. It could be a bullpen DFA. It could, I don't know what it's going to be. But uh, keep an eye on that space because they have to create a roster spot literally in the next, you know, 20 hours from now. Yeah, there's there's no roster spot. No, quite honestly, they, they got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, who, it's creativity right now. Yeah. I mean, who in the bullpen mix are you cutting loose? Well, it's Chirino. So that's that's the thing. I, I think yeah. I, I think Braves fans can do the math, too, like especially ones that are more plugged in, you know, especially if you're feeling the way that a lot of people feel. And I think justifiably by the way Chirino is pitching. He is the only guy on the current roster that feels expendable. Yeah. So, but like you said, maybe the Braves are leaking to reporters or whatever that they they want to see him more in the future. But okay, and I I get that too, and I want to be sure to note that like I don't think that's a bad idea. It's just that when you literally apparently have Dylan Lee like ready to go, and you have nowhere to put him because you have a roster crunch, and now you're going to try to hold on to Yanni Chirinos because you just can't make a move. Like it's just a weird situation. And look, it's not it's not a bad problem. They have too many guys who are quality options. It's just that if you're on the outside looking in, I can already hear Braves fans yelling at us for not being more strident on this. Like the most obvious thing to do is to you know maybe maybe it's a fan of Myel, but in some way to move on from Chirinos. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that does that is the move that just screams at you if you look at the roster right now. Yeah, again, maybe by the time people listen to this, it we will don't know. not be known. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if I had to bet money, I would think that magically Torinos is going to have some kind of injury happen and he'll go on the IL. I, I just doesn't seem like the Braves are ready to completely cut, dot, cut ties with him. And I could be wrong. They clearly value depth. But I mean, you, you hit on the nail on the head, right? Like Dylan Lee is a very good major league reliever who's just kind of hanging out on his rehab assignment because there's nowhere for him to go. Um, you know, Jesse Chavez is an older player. You know, he had the shin bruise, but we're talking like more than two full calendar months at this point for a shin bruise. And he still is, I mean, he's throwing bullpens in Atlanta. 
something tells me if the, if the bullpen was in shambles, Jesse Chavez might already be back. And then at the time of the Nick Anderson injury, you know, it didn't seem overly concerning. And I think even Nick Anderson was a little surprised that he was put on the 60 day IL instead of the 15 day. And at the time we, we kind of felt like, yeah, it was the Braves being cautious and utilizing their depth and making sure they have him fresh for October baseball. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is not a problem because they have too many relievers at this point, but really you know, other than Chirinos, there's just not a ton of other places they can go to open up roster spots right now. Yeah, and I always say the name of Colin McHugh because I know Braves fans are kind of dumb Colin McHugh right now. I get that. Um, but he's also a guy that I, I don't think they're going to be just like burying. Uh, I could be wrong about that. He he would probably be the natural because, look, Pierce Johnson's look good. I mean, you were, didn't you write about him this week? I think you did. Um, Pierce Johnson looks I, good. I did not, but I mean, Somebody I, I tweeted about it. You tweeted it. That's what it was. He's been uh, really he's, good. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so that's another game like again like got you know that that's that's what it's a good thing but you brought in this guy pierce johnson from outside who looks good and kirby Yates um before today was having a pretty decent season under the radar um the q's been the shakiest probably but yeah again long story short they have some uh choices to make in the next few hours yeah and you know just looking ahead a little bit in another 10 days or so the rosters expand Yep. Um, I actually saw a little talk about it this week. And just as a refresher, it's not the old days where you could bring up anybody and just have like 38 man rosters. You only get to add one position player and one pitcher when rosters expand on September 1st. So that helps you, you, you know, add at least one bullpen arm to the mix, or if they want to go to a six man rotation, that's also something I think they could do to help limit innings. And then, of course, the position player, we'll see who they use. That feels like a far less of a priority at this point <laughs> than the pitching side. Um, so, yeah, anywho, there was some I saw a couple of folks say, well, in, in two weeks, we just bring up everyone. And nope. they that was an adjustment, I believe, with the, the most recent CBA negotiations a couple of years ago. I believe that was something that went away. It, it would be easier for the Braves if they could bring everybody up, but they cannot. So there there you go. It's a good okay, point. It's good. Okay. Exactly. They could legitimately <laughs> run like a 12, 13 man bullpen right now. Yeah, they, they have something, honestly, and not to repeat it again, they they could in a different world, they might just stick Chirinos in the bullpen. He's done that. He was he did that in Tampa Bay. They might just make him the long man in a different world. But again, there's nowhere to put him right now. Um, all right. Moving on from that. Uh they won Saturday, fifth game, fifth game in a row. Sunday was, of course, the loss today. Not the worst loss in the world. They had a chance at it. They were in the game. Kirby Yates gave up uh, the run to lose it late with two hit batsmen and two walks. Um, this number uh, startled me today. I don't know if you had, were, already knew it. Maybe I was the one in the dark. Kirby Yates, including today, has a walk rate this season of 5.73 per nine. He is not good enough to do that. And I think, again, he's not been so bad this year. People have kind of, I think, probably been a little bit unfair to him on, on the whole, but he he can't walk that many guys. That's, that's not, that's not going to work. Yeah. And it was a tough situation for the bullpen today because both Iglesias and Minter were down. Right. Both pitched Friday and Saturday. And, you know, Freed went five and two thirds. So you had to cover some innings. Michael Tonkin did a really nice job bridging it. Yeah, that, that walk number, though, for Kirby is too high. And I, clearly the Braves have faith in him. Brian Stitker has faith in him. And he's been pretty darn good over the last month or so. I believe before Sunday, 
He had uh, worked 10 scoreless appearances consecutively, but you know, he just, he had no command on Sunday. It looked like he was going to get out of it for a hot minute. And then he threw four straight balls to Jock Peterson. And, uh, and that was the difference, which was a bummer. Um, you know, I think Yates, has, <clears throat> excuse me, has a, a role on this team in September and, and then in October when games really get magnified. But if you ask me to list the one through eight or one through nine in the bullpen in terms of my just personal comfort level with, I think Kirby's probably like five or six on that list. Yeah, and I'm not saying that he is as good as you know his as he used to be. For instance, they 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 got they, of course they bought low on him. He had been really injured for a long time after being a top of the line closer, and he's not that guy anymore. But I do think that he's been a perfectly serviceable middle of the bullpen guy, and that's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, I think both he and McHugh have had their rough spots. Um, they're not going to be the highest guys, but look, like you just said, I mean, there are guys who are higher priority, but you know, no one's bullpen. It's something you have to always stress to people. No team's bullpen, even the best bullpens, which, by the way, the Braves have one of the best bullpens in the league, for better or worse. Nobody's bullpen has seven or eight guys that are all closers in it. You know what I mean? Like They don't have that. Everyone's fifth, sixth, seventh relievers are not incredible. They're probably, and the Braves have had, again, we, we just talked about it. They have a lot of guys who are pretty good. Um, but, and Kirby Yates is just like pretty okay. And that's okay. It's just that he can't walk. Six guys per nine because nobody can uh, for the most part. <laughs> it's stuff's not that good. So anyway. Yeah. The only guy who, and we've, I think you and I try to outline this in our preseason preview podcast every year. Relievers can be volatile. They Always can be are. good. And then they can be bad. And then they can be good again. And then they can be bad again. Uh, Colin McHugh really all year has never really found it. And, uh, and it's I, so funny because he has, he has a, his ERA is like three, it's like three, five. Yeah, but you're, I think you're right. By the way, I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just so funny to look at his ERA and it's like in the mid threes. <laughs> but you're right; uh, it's, yeah. he's not been very good. He has not been so bad that he needs to be released or anything. I'm not saying that, but yeah. Um, and he, you know, he has some versatility. He can cover multiple innings. Now, whether or not those multiple innings are the best remains to be seen. But you know, he was he's been an awesome reliever for years, and now he's 35, 36 years old, and he has been. Especially his underlying numbers, his strikeouts are down, his walks are up. He just hasn't had command. And when you throw the kind of stuff that McHugh throws, you got to really have your command, and he hasn't had it. Uh, but as you just outlined, I think really well, if if McHugh and Yates are the bottom two options in your bullpen, with a couple of really good guys on the IL too. I mean, that that's an enviable position and a lot of teams around the league would kill to have bullpens like that. Yeah. There's a reason why we spend probably too much time every spring talking about this, but it is true. Like, you know, they're just hard to project individuals. You know, Michael Tonkin being a good major league reliever this year was not on my radar. Um, four months ago. You know what I mean? Ooh, like that's, yeah. that's Pierce Johnson, of course, wasn't in the organization, but he's, uh, you know, he'd be ahead of Yates and McHugh right now. McHugh, like you said, is 36 years old. And yeah, he's been their worst reliever this year in the aggregate. And he has been a perfectly fine average reliever in a regular context. You know what I mean? Like if he was on the nationals, no one would be saying he's having a terrible season. It's just that he's been the worst Braves reliever. So uh, it's a pretty high bar to clear. And yeah. uh, the Braves are in a pretty good spot as a result. And again, I feel like I say it like every week on the podcast, but the Braves, I believe, are still like either number one or number two in all of baseball in Fangraphs war among relievers. Like they've, they've been very good in the bullpen all year long. It's just what it is. Yeah. These are the things that we nitpick when the team is 80 and 43. That is 100% true. And yep. 14 games up in the division. And 
uh, you know, bullpens are, of course, very, very important come October time. But I tend to think that when the game really means the most and Brian Snitker has to go down there to get a couple of big outs, I just don't feel like Yates is going to be the first dude out of the gate. Uh, maybe he, you know, maybe he throws a big inning or two along the way. Let's hope there are a whole bunch of games to be played in October. Um, but yeah, man, I just, uh, in high leverage <laughs> spots, I just don't have a ton of confidence. But anyway, it's not the worst problem to have. Uh, just to, again, say, I, I, I pulled, as you were talking, the Braves currently lead the National League in bullpen, bullpen ERA at 3.4. I believe the Braves, yeah, the Braves also lead the National League in bullpen FIP at 3.61. Uh, they are number one or number, yeah, number two in ERA, uh, sorry, in war among bullpens in the National League. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good problem to have if you want to call it a problem. Um, all right, before we get out of here, Scott, on this fine Sunday in August, we should preview what's to come. We talked about this already a little bit, but Alan Winans is going to pitch on Monday. It's been confirmed. He's pitched very well in two starts. It also allows a little bit of extra time for everybody else. Probably good. Um, what do you expect from Alan Winans? I mean, we haven't talked, we've talked about him a ton because it's only two starts, but it's just worth remembering, like, this is a guy who was, I will fully admit, completely off my radar until a couple of months ago. And he was very good in Gwinnett. He's been very good in two starts with, with the Braves. And uh, I still have a little bit, a little part of me that doesn't buy it. I got to be honest with you, but that's just maybe me being me. Um, what do you make of the whole Alan Wines experience right now? Because we're going to see it again uh, just a few hours. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. And I, I mean, he's just an easy guy to root for with his backstory. A guy who was in the minor leagues for years and years and getting his opportunity he was great in the doubleheader last weekend against the Mets. He's going to see New York again on Monday. And you know, as we saw the Braves do last August and September, you bring him up and it pushes everyone else back a day. So extra rest for Charlie and for Elder on Tuesday and Wednesday. You have the off day on Thursday. So then Strider gets almost two full extra days of rest, which is really important hopefully keep guys crisp, especially before a long West Coast trip. Uh, and with, with Winans, he's kind of in the elder mold where the command needs to be sharp in order for him to be successful. But so far, it has been. He, he faced Milwaukee in his debut, was perfectly fine on the road, and then through uh, the game of his life against the Mets a week ago. So I'm excited for him. Um, I think with with any guy in his situation, you you kind of have to have a quick hook you don't want to let a game get away from you in the middle innings if he just starts to give up some loud contact. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping that he pitches well. And if you know if he goes three for three and pitches well again on Monday, man, I, I would be in favor of making him the fifth starter until you know something changes and he can't be the fifth starter anymore. Yeah, I think it's definitely feeling that way. It's just like a an audition tomorrow. Um, I, I know at least the beat guys got, I think maybe we did in our mentions uh, of battery power SBN account, uh, people asking why this isn't going to be Soroka. Um, you know, I think the answer that we have is, I don't, I don't know why in terms of what the Braves are thinking, but it's, it's felt like for the last several weeks now, they've had Winans as a higher priority option than Soroka. Uh, I know Mike threw pretty well this weekend in the minors. From what I, I did not see that start. I just read our, our recap, which we should plug at battery But, um, I, you know, 
the answer is the Braves just seem to think more of Winans than Soroka right now as Major League Ready. I know we're all rooting for both these guys in a big way, but um, I don't know about you, Scott. Like, what do you think of that sort of head to head? Because yeah, I'm looking at up, up now. Mike struck out nine in four and two thirds, which is obviously impressive, but it is AAA, and uh, I don't really know what to make of it. But uh, it seems like the Braves just slightly view Winans ahead. Yeah, it was a, an encouraging start for Soroka to be sure. I know someone, I forget who, someone was at uh, the Gwinnett game the other day, I believe he pitched Saturday and said he was really sharp. Um, so you know, I, as I talk with you here, Brad, I'm almost talking myself into the idea that the Braves might utilize a six-man rotation. I mean, they're, they're they're doing it as of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but like on a, a permanent yeah. basis for six weeks, which sounds kind of funny to say, but... It, it a, wouldn't be the craziest thing when you're up 13 games and you can give some guys extra time. It's not, you, it's not crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you can, um, you know, with with a handful of off days they have as well. I think you and I over the last month have talked about the importance of keeping this team healthy and sharp going into October. And, and that's something you can do. If you can give pitchers an extra day of rest, I, I would assume without pulling all the numbers, I would think pitchers tend to have better numbers with extra rest on this, you know, in the rotation here. So uh, if you have Winans, if you have Soroka, AJ Smith Shaver is an option as well. Although as a younger guy, he might be getting close to an innings limit. I haven't heard that directly, but I'm sure they will want to be careful with his innings. If you have Winans and, and Soroka ready to roll, and then Chirinos, we'll see what they do with him. It does kind of feel like to me over these final six weeks that'll be a real option. And then if you have to shift gears and and you know ultimately drop one to the minors or move on from Yanni, as we've talked about. It's not a difficult move to make. I concur with all of that. Um, beyond that, of course, they're playing the Mets to begin this week, which is kind of interesting. We, we, we just saw them. Uh, it's Elder, but it's Morton after that. Um, the Mets are playing better all of a sudden. And it's kind of funny because Mets fans that I follow or at least see um, are mad about it because once they kind of gave up, gave up it was better for them to lose than to win in some respects. And they're doing the reverse tanking thing with another way. It doesn't actually matter. I guess they're not totally dead. We should at least acknowledge that, but uh, it, it would kind of be more funny now if they were to win, you know, all these games, not in a row, but they've, they've won a clump of games and to come, you know, if they suddenly just blow up against the Braves again, it would be kind of uh, appropriate timing. Yeah. That was my, my confusion when the, when the Mets made the decision to trade Scherzer, a couple days before the deadline. Right, Again, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and and then it was David Robertson and, and Verlander and Tommy Pham, and he went down the list. Now, as you said, they're six games out of the wild card race, and almost everyone is struggling in there. Like the Giants have had issues. The Reds can't pitch. Now, the Cubs are solid, but they, you know, they're kind of a top heavy roster where they don't have a ton of depth. The Marlins have have fallen off quite a bit. I mean, you just go down this list, and it's like none of these teams are world beaters, and the Mets more or less punted. So naturally, they have won a few games now, right, because of baseball. Um, you know, this feels like an opportunity for the Braves to go at home and just put the final nail in that coffin. There are a lot of teams ahead of New York in order to make a postseason run, and it just doesn't feel like that's in the cards. But Nonetheless, it's a, it's a familiar team. I believe these are the final three games against New York as well this season, which is a little funny to say with a week and a half to go in August still. Um, but yeah, I mean, you hopefully with Winans and then Elder and Morton, if they could build off their starts from this past week, 
hopefully the rotation stays strong and, and take care of business against a Mets team that Atlanta has just dominated for almost a calendar year now. It is the last series, which, like you said, is very strange, but we'll see if the Braves can uh, keep it going against the Mets Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at home. We won't, do, we won't do a full preview of the road trip after that, but the Braves, uh, beginning Friday, which is uh, Friday the 25th of August, have a 10-game Scott Coleman West Coast trip, three in San Francisco, three in Colorado, and then four, a massive showdown, four-game series with the Dodgers, over Labor Day weekend, that is going to be a high-profile series between the two best teams in the National League. Yeah, and uh, I pulled this number just for uh, everyone's enjoyment, I guess especially Scott. Seven of the ten games begin at 8.40 p.m. Eastern time or later, which means a lot of Scott time in uh, in Braves country. That's right. I got to dust out the dust off the typewriter and get my, my post-game <laughs> recaps ready to go. Yeah. Chris, Chris only makes Scott do recaps uh, on West coast games. So it's uh, those, I, I think, yeah, there are six nights in a row, Scott, where it's eight 40 or, or later all of next week. So yeah. Get your, uh, your get coffee pots. Yeah. Coffee pots and whatever else, what other late night snacks you all prefer. Cause there will be some late night games and you know, it's, a, it's going to be a challenging road trip. You travel across the country. We are in the dog days of August. Uh, we just saw the Giants for three, and then you go to the the Rockies for three games. Which, and they, uh, by the way, they are awful. So yeah, that's, that's, that has, that's helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's nice that Colorado breaks up the San Francisco and Los Angeles portion. Still base, still baseball though. They can beat you, as we saw with the with with the Oakland A's earlier earlier this year. Oh they man, can, you can lose to anybody in baseball. It's yeah, just, that's part of the fun. Little did we know. Despite losing that series to the A's, it was like the the launch of the Braves going oh nuclear God. for so, a couple of months. So I'm distracted, Scott. the The A's, uh, the A's are 34 and 90. Scott, Ooh. Uh, they have a they have a minus 303 run differential. That's not that great. Is just all time nonsense there. Just just for comparison's sake, for everybody that wants to know, the Braves lead the majors comfortably in run run differential at plus 212. So that's that's an yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome run differential. And the A's are minus 303. So that kind of tells you how bad Ooh. they are. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um yeah, poor Oakland. Uh <laughs> yeah. So the uh so right, looking ahead for the week, the Mets and then the Giants. ATT is always a tough place to play. And, and then you know, we, we talked about the Rockies and then four against the Dodgers. We're we're talking about almost two weeks from now. So it's not like it's tomorrow, but that's going to be a big series. I'm sure on a national level that those four games are going to get a lot of attention. There is also the national league number one seed race, which I don't know how much it necessarily matters. Um, I would prefer the Braves be the one seed uh, for, for home field potentially in the NLCS. Although I think I'd probably rather play the four versus five seed in the NL, the way it's shaping up, than the three versus six. So there's, there's of course, pros and cons to all of this. And we're talking <laughs> about hypothetical races that have six weeks to go. But nonetheless, a uh, always an interesting time when the Braves venture out west. It feels like they had a couple of years where they were just awful on the West Coast. And that's balanced out a bit, and it certainly helps. They've had such good teams lately. Um, and I will do my plug, the, uh, the park in San Francisco – AT&T or I think it's Oracle Park now is just beautiful and worth the trip wherever you may live worth the trip out west to go to. Uh I just I just realized as you were talking um you mentioned earlier in the show and and correctly so that one of the worst 
pitching matchups the Braves could have on paper would be Chirinos against Logan Webb. That is currently what ESPN has projected for Friday. Now, I, I don't know if Chirinos is going to make that start, but if, if they were to well, hold serve, it would be Chirinos. We're, we're I playing. believe, well, so I believe because Winans was inserted on Monday. Oh, you're right. Good. They, they missed that. And they, that's good. I'm glad somebody they else put that up there. pointed that out. Of, it'll, it be, it, be it'll be, it'll be Strider, which is yeah, good. Strider against Webb, which is as, I mean, two of, as good of two starting pitchers in the national league as there is. And the Braves did a nice job against Webb on, on Saturday. So yes, that was probably also part of the discussion. Uh, baseball is a funny game. Anything can happen, but on the road web against Torinos would probably not go super well. Yeah. I was trying to check for TV listings, which is why I went to ESPN and they, they misled me, but I thank you for correcting me. You were absolutely right about that. Um, and yeah, just uh, to cap it off, uh, actually just for your purposes, Scott, uh, the Braves do play uh, it's an FS one game on Saturday. And then uh, next week, ESPN prime time for those of us that love Sunday night baseball, which means later podcast recordings, Sunday night, 7 p.m. ESPN. So you'll have us late again on Sunday evening for those of you who uh, I know there are some of you and God bless you all that listen to the podcast. As soon as it goes up, it's going to be late on Sunday again because of the late game. My apologies. Yeah. Um, it's always a good time. Finish up with the Mets, go out West, see the Giants again, probably catching San Francisco at maybe their worst point all season. Uh, they've, they've had some issues and they were holding on for dear life to win today as well. But yeah, wow. They've lost. Uh, I'm looking at this now. They've lost what uh, six? Uh, yeah, they they're underwater for last like two and a half, three weeks, pretty significantly before today. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, really. I mean, for for folks listening, go look at the National League wild card race. I think the Phillies are pretty firmly in there, but man, all the teams behind them have gone cold four, four to and ten. ice cold. Yeah, four and ten in the last fourteen for the Giants, including today, and they won today. So yeah. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a good race. There's a couple of good division races too, kind of shaping across the league. The Braves, I don't want to jinx it, look very very likely to win the division. Yeah, the the NL Central is always up for grabs, always yeah. just the way it goes. And then a couple of them in the American League, the East is uh, competitive. Baltimore is fun, but Toronto, uh, Tampa Bay is right there. And the Texas Texas versus Houston versus Seattle in a three way race in the West is uh, is fun if you enjoy non Braves baseball, which I think you and I do. So there you go. You do. Yeah. Especially, man, I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed. There's only six weeks left in the regular season. Oh, I thought you were about to zig and say that you're bummed that the Braves are not closer to the National League East. I, th- I thought that was coming out of your mouth. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought After you were last year, man. <laughs> for drama's sake. Every yeah. night was high drama. It was. Uh, I, I am, I am very glad that it's not that right now. And look, uh, I'll just say it one more time. We have, Scott and I in particular have, um, I would say purposefully not declare the division race over, and I'm still not doing it right now. I understand all the numbers; it ain't over till it's over. I'm not doing it, but they're in a good, they're in a, good, they're in a pretty good spot right now. As of August yeah. 20th, give it, give it two weeks. We might, yeah. We might if, if, it, if it's still 13 after uh, after Labor Day, if it's 13, yeah. I'll uh, start maybe breaking the confetti out a little bit, but not right. not yet. We're not there. Um, right. Okay, Scott, let's get out of here. Anything to plug? Before we uh, exit stage left on, again, August 20th. Uh, Nothing in particular. Thanks to everybody for checking us out. We really do appreciate all the support. Uh, The feedback that we get on the episodes is always appreciated as well. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a review. That really helps us out with the algorithms and takes all of two minutes of your time. So, uh, again, we appreciate everyone checking us out. We'll be back late next weekend as well. And, And there's also a lot of great content on the feed during the week to kind of bridge the gaps with 
the podcast to be named later. And then Sean does the Daily Hammer most mornings, which is a great kind of 15 minute get your day going Braves recap of, of news and notes. So uh, a lot of good content and and we'll uh, we'll see everybody next weekend. We're going to be missing Sean in the, the near, in the near future. I'm not going to spoil the announcement there, but I think we're going to be Sean's going to have some time off coming up. So we'll, we'll have some fill-ins, whether it's me or Steven, maybe we'll get Scott on, on the solo podcast. Maybe I can pay Scott enough yeah. money under the table to, to do a solo podcast. Solo pods with Scott. I don't know if solo Scott at like one, at like 1 AM Eastern after a West coast game would just be incredible stuff. Just, Let's just do it. Just break out, break out your, uh, your light beer of choice to just, <laughs> just start firing away. Uh, anyway, Let it rip. Yeah, that's Will quite, it a, ever... quite a visual. Will the podcast ever see the light of day? Probably TBD, but uh, I'm I'm down to do a solo. Just just fun. after a bad Scott after a bad loss, just firing everyone. He's firing Snit on the podcast. It'd be incredible. Oh, anyway, yeah. we're uh, we're here, and my apologies for that little uh, detour. But yes, as of everything everything Scott said is correct. Please subscribe to the show, uh, to the show and the entire network anywhere you get your podcasts. Ratings, reviews, read the site as well. BarryPower.com. You can find Scott on Twitter slash X at Scott Fifty Five. Find me there if you want to at BT Roland or find the network at Battery Power SBN. Thank you as always for listening, everybody. Really do appreciate it. We'll see you all next time.